Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 129 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're checking in with Tim Stanley, the founder of Justia and FindLaw, about private efforts to increase public access to the law and the role of karma. Today's podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists, and it's smart, charming receptionists who are perfect for small firms. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. Today's podcast is sponsored by Clio Legal Practice Management Software. Clio makes running your law firm easier. Try it for free today at clio.com. So this past week, our friends at FastCase released their annual list of the Fast Case 50 Awards, <laughs> um, which is their list of 50 of the most kind of innovative, tech-savvy, forward-thinking people in the law. And since that kind of overlaps a lot with the efforts we've been making to build the TBD law community, we thought it would be fun to uh, note how many of the TBD law alumni are also alumni of the Fast Case 50 list. So this year's Fast Case 50 list includes uh, Joe Baggett, Tom Martin, Ellen Rodriguez, and Billy Tarasio, who are all TBD alumni. And have all been on the podcast. And have all been podcast guests. You yep. see how these things all overlap? <laughs> but we have probably a dozen past Fast Case 50 attendees who are also TBD Law alumni. Yeah. Um, and we're really excited that it's such a cool group, um, which includes David Colarusso, Sarah Glassmeyer, Alma Say, uh, Mary Jutton, Carolyn Elephant, Gina Cho, Dan Lear, Joshua Lennon, Chad Burton, Adriana Linares, and then you yep. and uh, our TBD law co-host, Matt Homan. Um, I guess I'm notably missing from that list, but I will, I'll choose not to take it personally. Do something innovative, Aaron. I guess. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no secret. We are obviously trying to get the most interesting, innovative thinkers in law to be at TBD law. And so there's a lot of overlap. One of the neat things it's worth mentioning that FastCase does is every year they update a Twitter list of the FastCase 50. And uh, I have found that to be kind of an interesting list to subscribe to to figure out, you know, what kind of the thought leadery legal people are thinking and sharing and talking about. Um, so check I that out. That explains it. Yeah. The fact that I don't use Twitter is probably why they don't <laughs> want me on their list. Could be. Oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, I barely use it anymore either, but uh, but I do pay attention to it. And the Fast Case 50 is a pretty cool list to follow. So I recommend it. So with that, let's talk to Tim Stanley about the private efforts to increase public access to law. And I am actually really excited to hear his thoughts on karma. I am Tim Stanley. I'm the CEO of Justia. I work on a lot of sort of free law and free sort of government information on our web portal. Previously, I was the uh, CEO and founder of FineLaw and uh, worked at FineLaw for a number of years before starting Justia. We do a lot of free law stuff and I'm happy to talk about it today. Fantastic. Thanks for being with us, Tim. I realize that Justia is your current project and I want to talk about that, but it feels like it has its roots in FindLaw, which is feels like a pretty different thing today than it was when you founded it and built it up. I mean, I remember it was like this amazing thing. All of a sudden you could find the law online just by searching. And 
I wonder if you could walk us through kind of where you got the idea for it, how you went about founding it, and how you funded it. Yeah, with final, you know, beforehand, I, I was in a PhD program at Stanford, and uh, Stacy had uh, just graduated from uh, a law school, and each of us had put up some sort of the uh, segmented uh, legal portals. She had written or put up a bunch of uh, stuff on on cyber law and uh, internet law, and I'd put up some uh, stuff on uh, law and economics. And we were we were doing that for a while, and then with uh, Martin Rosheis and another uh, Stanford PhD guy, we got together and we sort of put the resources, you know, combined the resources and went ahead and uh, released Fine Law. And we started it like December of 95 and had something up really by early of January 96. I mean, obviously there weren't as many things. And it was, you know, if you thought about it back then, it was initially uh, sort of uh, a link directory. It's kind of like Yahoo was, Mm -hmm. but just focused in on law. It was a bit more detailed. You'd come to the front page and you'd want to learn about criminal law. So there'd be a link for that. Yeah, at that point, just a lot of criminal law resources. Separately, we started working with law reviews. Bart and I, back you know, even before Fine Law started, had gone to this computer uh, freedom and privacy conference that uh, uh, Jim Warren was uh, the guy who, who ran it. And uh, we'd met with Rick Clow and some of the other uh, law review guys out there. And, and Rick had started the first online law review, and we started doing a project with them as well. And then that eventually became sort of a, a combo uh, project with uh, the law review group uh, run by Rick and, and us at the Fine Law. And then uh, there was a guy uh, named Jamie Love who was running the Taxpayers Assistance Project, part of a Ralph Nader group. And he did a, a big debate with a Democratic congressman, a former Democratic congressman from Minnesota. And it was about sort of, you know, access to the law and copyrightability of, you know, some of the corrections or some of the citations. And Wes was claiming copyright of both those at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, a, it was an interesting debate. And Martin and I both saw it and we came back and we thought, well, that'd be interesting for the, you know, some of the PhD work we're doing. And later on, we started, you know, doing the free case law as well. And it corresponded a lot with Jamie over time uh, about that. Um, so it was sort of a, you know, as we're sort of going, we're taking some of the stuff we've done previously, which is, you know, some of the meetings, some of the stuff we've done with law reviews and academically, uh, combined with some directories that, you know, Stacy and I had put together. And then we sort of combined it all up. And then once we put it up, we would basically sort of see what people were doing and we do normally a project every couple months. So we started doing, you know, we did the Ninth Circuit and we did all the circuits and then we started doing the state case law and we just grab it and aggregate it and we'd slowly start marking things up and uh, just, you know, just kept adding. We added free websites. We added, we started putting together a lawyer directory. Uh, we started, you know, putting up all different types of government content. We worked on with e-groups, another uh, company that Martin was uh, working with with uh, Scott Hassan and we uh, started doing mailing list archives. I uh, worked with Washburn on some of that stuff too. So it was just, you know, at that point in time, you know, our real skill set was we had, you know, with me and Stacey, we were both lawyers. And with me and Martin, we were both programmers. And we just started programming away. And we would just think of something and we'd do it. And we'd think of something and we'd do it. And we just kept working. And uh, it was really just the three of us, really, for a number of years. And, you know, it worked out, you know, pretty well. We were doing, you know, quite well, very profitable and everything else uh, before we even touched VC money. <laughs> where, did the, where did the money come from? Was it advertising then or were you charging for things or what? Yeah. It was, it was advertising. At that point, the vast majority of the revenue came from West and Lexus. Um, they were probably two-thirds of the revenue. Hmm. And you know, we had a very uh, sort of large uh, client base or lawyers using our site. And yeah. they were sort of reaching out to do upsells to their own uh, new online products that they had at the time. Oh, interesting. So 
Um, so even at that point, you were starting to uh, charge money to lawyers for some additional stuff, or no? Oh no, we we, we weren't charging. Western West, oh, West and Lexus were charging, but you know they would gotcha. see the ads and they would go purchase stuff. We we did nothing. Uh, at that point, we weren't charging for anything. We weren't even charging for the websites or directory stuff. It was just we just do it, and we're just trying to you know keep building stuff. So it was you know it was easy and it was fun and. We didn't have we were students living in apartments, so not, not too bad. <laughs> so at some point you did take VC money, right? And we took an angel round uh, at the very beginning of '99, and took a larger round in October of '99. Uh, and was the goal just more more of the same, or was there a specific target at that point? Well, in hindsight, I'm not sure what the goal was. <laughs> I think the goal was. Uh, Everybody was offering money to us and everybody was putting pressure on us to take money. So we did it because everyone else did. Yeah. I guess that would probably be the best reason <laughs> uh, that I could think of that we did it. Um, I don't think it added anything. Uh, I think it was we hired random folks. I don't know what the hell some of them did. Uh, I, I don't think it was good. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, the, you know, also I never managed a, a larger group. Uh, but even when we hired stronger managers, I don't think that... Uh, really led to any sort of uh, better results. Yeah, you uh, always kind of protest that you're a technician, not a thought leader, right? Well, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm a programmer. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, you like yeah. to do that. I, mean, I have thoughts, yeah. but I don't know. If, <laughs> I'm not uh, telling you what the future is with robot law and uh, things like that. I leave that to Ed Walters and the guys who are sort of focused on the, the bigger picture thing sometimes. So, that so that was in, uh, what, 99-ish that you started taking money? Yeah. So, that, that was then. And we, you know, we you know, grew up the staff quite a bit. And then we cut back the staff and then we uh, sold to Thompson West at the time, January 2001. So it's pretty quick. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and since then, it's, you know, it's gone on to become the fine law we know today, which is more, uh, it feels like it's more about a directory and, and websites. And, and so when did you start Justia? How long, how long did you sit on the fine law sale before you um, started something new? I was at fine law for two years. Oh, right. And then I left fine law and I started Justia with the Zhu Wang uh, two days later. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't. I didn't wait too long. Yeah. I incorporated in Vegas and had uh, my incorporation papers within a day. And then uh, you and I just started programming for a bit, and, and that was that was the beginning of Justia. And then Justia, you know, got sued by West. We got shut down for a little bit, and we sort of stalled out a bit. And then we came back. Uh, really, the, the, the current Justia, again, sort of grown organically. Uh, the end of two thousand four. Gotcha. Sort of when we uh, started growing things. And how. <laughs> I realize there there may be some politics tied up in this, but uh, how similar to Find Law is Justia, and and why did you decide to do something so similar again? Well, I, I think that you know Justia when we started back up, we, we we did a couple things differently. One is that we focused on the revenue first before we started building up the portal. So the initial part of Justia was actually you know really just doing pure search engine optimization. Uh, consulting. And mm-hmm. so we did that. And then we solely added websites. Uh, we didn't really add a directory too much later. So I, I think that the big part, I think, when Finelaw sold to Thompson West, you know, Thompson Reuters, was that we were doing uh, free case law. And that was not a revenue business model within their organization that they thought made any sense at all. Right. I'm not saying that, you know, I, I don't think they've done, uh, you know, they, they've they have some work to do if they actually wanted to, to keep their stuff up to date better, do you know a better job on some of their like summaries and things. It's just not a priority for them. No, they bought on the, the traffic, right? At all. They, so that they could yeah. sell websites. And I, I think they they tried LawOffice.com. They had spent a, a lot of money on that. That was not working. I think they bought traffic to a certain extent, maybe control of a potential free law competitor, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think would 
probably should have worried them quite as much as it might have. <laughs> also, you had Lexus one at the time, so they weren't a competitor for that. I think what they really got was uh engineering team mm. and uh, a team that was very strong. And on the engineering management side, uh, we were very good. I mean, I was good. Kuba was good. We we know how to run engineers and get projects done. I mean, that, that part we're really, really good at. So I think they got that. And that was – and final offer, Thompson West was extremely successful. Always grew beat out any expectations they have. Always, you know, it really grew quite fast. I um, mean, we took an engineering team. You know, we came up with some of the, the, the core products on Mountain View. And then you added a sales team. You had something there. I think its sense has uh, changed a bit. Um, and what they're doing, but I don't, you know, that I leave that to them. Uh, they certainly aren't focused on the free law stuff. You know, they they have stuff up, but I don't think it, you know, yeah. a lot of it's out of date. Not quite. It's not really what I would necessarily do. Well, and so uh, you started Justia, and you're obviously still elbows deep into the free law world. Um, and, and I'm curious about this. But, you know, we talked to Carl Malamud recently, and he's doing free law from the, um, you know, the nonprofit crusader side of things, and you're doing it from the for profit side of things. Mm-hmm. So what's the, is the free law, obviously it's because you believe in free law, but it's also a way to um, bring in traffic so that you can sell websites and marketing services and stuff like that. Is Do I have that right? Yeah, I don't know if the, the, the free law stuff, at least what I've seen in terms of sales and things like that, I don't know if that actually uh, increases revenue really. I mean, I work with Carl, so I'm on the board at publicresource.org yeah. and been on that for a long time. And you know, we work a lot with uh, Cornell, with the uh, Legal Information Institute, which uh you know, uh, Peter Martin, Tom Bruce had found, uh, and Tom Bruce is currently running uh, with uh, Sarah mm-hmm. Frug and uh, Craig Newton. And so we do a lot of stuff with Cornell. And I think for us, you know, I can you know, certainly speak for myself, I guess I can say that. I think most people in the company feel the same way. Our goal is just to help get the law up and, and make it free. And just and that's really the purpose of the company. So it's sort of what we want our end result to be. I'm not, I mean, I'm certainly not against making profits and things like that, but we're we're trying to use the business aspects to put up uh, the free law stuff. I don't think that if we stopped doing free law, that would really have much impact on our business at all. I think it would probably be pretty much the same. And we've done a lot of stuff, which, you know, you know, some of it is just aggregating, which, you know, case law, codes, patents, trademarks, which we also share out or, you know, some of it we actually get from Google, like uh, some of the patent trademark stuff or the patent stuff we've gotten from Google. We do the uh, sort of the, the, the case summaries themselves. So uh, we write case summaries for uh, all the federal appellate courts, uh, the Supreme Court, all the circuits. Um, we do it for all the top level state courts and all the California appellate courts. And we send those out free. We put them on blogs. We do something with a, a fast case. They, they get a copy, a CV of the hmm. bar. Continuing education of the bar here in California, getting a copy of all the California stuff. Um, so we just and we just distribute the stuff out. You know, sort of a lot of other sort of free content that we've aggregated and are storing, which I think is pretty worthwhile. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we, we've sort of done. It goes to the guys at Free Free Dot Law. Uh, you know, Brian Carver and Mike Listener. It goes over to uh, Internet Archive. You know, there's some folks that just use us for updates. There's like daily updates of all the cases that people can get in a tar file if they want daily or weekly, whatever they want. But that's sort of the, the, the core purpose of it. You know, we're certainly about free access, but more than free access, I would say we're about free law, which is we want distributed out to folks. Right. And, you know, some some folks have done a great job. If you ever seen like, uh, if you ever look at like the web law site uh, that uh, Rob Schechter did, weblaws.org, mm-hmm. it's pretty good. He's done a bunch of really nice uh, code markups. Uh, and certainly Cornell's doing all types of stuff. It's really more the purpose of the company than, uh, I, I don't think it's, it's certainly not a profit generator. So. Cost generator. <laughs> but, well, and and uh, we need to take a quick pause to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, 
I want to ask you a little bit more about your approach to uh, to that because I, I think one of the first things I heard about you and Justia is your belief in karma. And so I'd like to talk to that when we come back. So we'll take a brief break. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone, which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. You could invest in marketing your firm, you could spend more time helping clients in need, or you could catch your daughter's soccer game. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With Clio, tracking time, billing, and matter management are fast and easy, giving you more time to focus on what really matters. And Clio is a complete practice management platform with plenty of tools and over 50 integrations to help you automate daily tasks such as document generation and court calendaring. See how the right software can make it easier to manage your practice. Try Clio for free today at Clio.com. Okay, we're back. And um, Tim, tell me about karma and how, uh, how it's important to Justia and you and, and uh, why it's part of sort of your business strategy. Well, I mean, I, mean, I think for us, you know, you know, we just try to, you know, pretty much be nice to everybody. I mean, we just sort of, uh, we don't really, you know, worry about things and, you know, things are going well. So you can, you know, when things are going well, it's easier to be nicer to people. So that's always helped. And it's come back and it's helped us out as well. And, you know, some folks, even when we were sort of, you know, our beginning stages having, you know, sort of our toughest days uh, of Justia, yeah, you know, you know, like folks that had water is a fast case and other, you know, other people like that sort of came in and helped us out and, uh, you know, gave us a, uh, some support and moral support when we were sort of beginning. You know, my overall take, at least on the internet side, it's just a better way to go. I think there's, you know, some folks are a little bit more cagey with their stuff or I'm going to say more self-interested, which, you know, it's business, I guess, to be expected. I don't know if that's as good a strategy on the internet at this point, but, uh, you know, that's certainly a, a different strategy. But for us, it's just, you know, we're, we're much more laid back. We've not been super aggressive on anything, but we, we do a good job and we got, you know, top engineers. We, we know the SEO stuff. So our business stuff works out well and we can still be nice to folks like Avo. You know, that's fine. I like, like Mark and those guys, you know, everybody else feel along and whoever other competitors are, NOLO, lawyers.com folks, uh, your net brands. I mean, it's, it's all been, yeah. it's all been pretty good, uh, in terms of, you know, working with people. And it's just, I mean, I just think it's a, it's a good, good strategy, I guess, if you want to go like that. It feels like the internet is sort of in a struggle between closed ecosystems and open ecosystems, and it sounds like you fall down pretty hard on the, the latter, plus you're reaching out to people, you're very supportive of both free law, but legal tech and, and law in, in general, and uh, I suppose you come firmly down on the side of the open open internet. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, most folks, at least on the internet business side, have really benefited uh, from the work that others have done. I mean, the ability to sort of start something with very few costs and a few engineers, it's, you know, you know, it, it's night and day what it was even like a decade ago. I mean, mm-hmm. you can start a, 
uh, case law business right now. There's some big archives over at Freedom Law. I get all the really good quality cases since like the 1930s. You know, start doing the updates, and you know, you've got yourself a a case law archive that was certainly better than anything that Fine Law had back. Uh, you know, certainly at the time we sold. I mean, not quite West quality by any means, but it's really good. Um, and then the other stuff, you know, a lot of the uh, the free law folks have benefited from, you know, litigation that attorneys have taken on. I mean, certainly Carl's one example was some of the litigation he's doing right now on the regulations. But whether it's, you know, like Google Scholar, us, anybody, you know, Alan Sugarman and he had a, a attorney, uh, Carl Hartman, you know, they took on West and they, they took them on and they, they won decisions so that West could not claim copyrights on the corrections they made in the cases, which then became the official cases or their citation in the internal pages. And that's a that's a non-trivial thing. I mean, I don't think uh, if you didn't have uh, Alan and Carl, you know, leading the charge in the courts, really, when you're uh, running Hyperlaw, you don't have any of this because West would be pretty good about shutting stuff down and, you know, doing sort of secret licenses like they did with Lexus for, you know, 50000 a year and nobody else would know about it. And uh, that, you know, the, the litigation strategy in combination with sort of the, the, the free tools and free content, I mean, that all ties in together as far as the, the legal stuff goes. Um and, you know, certainly we'll see how Carl and PluckResource.org, uh, I mean, I expect, uh, you know, they're on the right side of history, if nothing else. So things go in terms of some of the, the laws and, you know, legislative histories that, have, that are taking place. But it's really, you know, it's not just technology. It's not just content. It's also litigation. And, uh, you know, Alan, Carl, some of those other guys sort of get that and sort of push things. And, and in Alan's case, really succeeded uh, on the litigation side. Uh, and that, that, that needs to be a, a bigger part, I think, of the strategy as anything else. It feels like we're, um, would you say we're kind of in the middle of trying to open up law? I mean, wh- how far do you think we are from um, courts just making the law available and legislatures just making the law available in electronic formats so that anybody can go grab them? Yeah, I'm absolutely amazed that it's not been fixed already. I mean, I'm just amazed. <laughs> I, if you had asked me back in 95 that in 2017, courts would be randomly putting up PDF files and they would take stuff down and wouldn't be the official opinions and, uh, you know, Half of them would still be using uh, West citations for official citations. I said, no way, never going to happen. I mean, it's, we're going to have a, some sort of standard format. It'll be an easy markup. People will be able to download it in batch. And courts should have the desire to make the lawyers better researchers. At least I yeah. think that should be part of their job. We have none of that. And if anything, we've seen more closed systems. Uh, certainly, like Lexus has taken over some of the codes, trying to keep some of those things. Or, or California case law. You can't download the California case law off the uh, California site. There's a Lexus licensing agreement. Hmm. Um, so you have all these additional licensing agreements and things in place. And what courts have done, it's not the free law part. They've done the free access part. So they'll give you a free access to it. And often it's a chopped down version, but it's very limited utility. Hmm. And so you might be able to find a case or do a case poll, but can you get all the crosslinks, you know, get the internal page numbers all the time? You can't do research. No, it's not research quality. Yeah. You can't go between courts. Uh, so... I, mean, I would have thought something like that would have changed. I know Carl set up a law.gov meeting to start looking at that as well. At least my take is that needs to be driven from the court system itself. And I don't think judges and courts look at decisions the same way. I still think they are really focused on their decision between the parties. And they might look a little bit towards the future of their decision, but I don't think they're thinking of it as an overall operational system. But they obviously take advantage of it. I mean, they use Westlaw and LexisNexis, maybe FastCase. You know, they're they're researching all the time. You know, I mean, yeah. it's frustrating that they can't see beyond that. I mean, I think some can, but I think you need, you need to come up with standards and you've got too many uh, 
you know, it's like more governments, you know, every government's different. Every, every court's different. I mean, you can't, I mean, even the, the federal district courts, they're all different. So you have, it's almost like a balkanization of all the different uh, jurisdictions. It, it's very hard for them to coordinate on stuff. And when they do coordinate on stuff, they, I don't believe they're, they're thinking of how can we make it free. They're thinking of how can we cover our cost? Yeah. And then once you start covering costs and you start saying, okay, we can charge for this stuff. That's good. Uh, let's work more cost in here <laughs> so we can charge more. <laughs> and that's, that's really why I think we've gone with Pacer and some of the other stuff. Um, you know, I, mean, I can't, you look at the Pacer system and you can't believe that's that expensive. Uh, yeah. So there, there are ways to sort of do things. And I don't really have a huge expectation of the government right now. I, you know, I think when the Obama administration came in, I think there was a, a lot of hope and I think they did a lot of stuff, but they don't really control the judiciary because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're the executive branch. So while a lot of uh, executive stuff came online free, the judiciary stuff didn't quite stay up the, the speed. But, well, it's one of these things. I mean, you, you said balkanization, which is a really apt description. I mean, we, you know, just every district court chambers has can have their own rules for what happens in those chambers. I mean, it's it's not it's not just 50 different states and federal jurisdictions. It's, um, oh, yeah. it's every single judge in the system you have to get on board, it seems like. I, I, I'm on the board at American Legal Net and the fact that every single court makes their own local rules. That's a business for us. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know if it should be a business for us, but it is. Yeah, there's no. It's really much more random than people think. And even the like district court systems. When you like, we download all the uh, the federal civil filings uh, every day, and we go to each court. All those courts have different systems. They're on different versions of it. They'll move forward. They'll revert back. They don't really. It's it's much more. It's very interesting. It's not even the courts aren't all sort of trying to stay in the same base system on, on the federal district court level, which if you're to be able to coordinate something, that's a you know, top down thing from the uh, chief justice. So it'd be probably easier to have someone command it. So I, I think there's, you know, you know there, there's certainly improvements. Um, I, I'm looking forward to the uh, Supreme court putting up the, uh, all the briefs pretty soon. That'll be good. Uh, yeah. And the ABA sort of been handling that for the last bunch of years, but there's still more briefs. Uh, and they don't get necessarily all the briefs all the time. Um, so I, that'll be interesting. And, uh, you know, things are moving, yeah, but it's always a little bit slower. But I thought, you know, I would have thought a decade ago we'd be done. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's just hard to it's a shame hard to coordinate sometimes. It's, it's a coordination issue, though. It's not a technology or cost issue even. It's right. Maybe a little bit of political stuff from Weston Lexus. But even though I, I think they're more just sort of filling in the vacuum, I don't know whether they're necessarily even driving it right now. So let me circle back to Justia and ask you, for our listeners who are predominantly lawyers, um, maybe exclusively lawyers, what's the best thing they should be getting out of Justia? How can they use it most effectively? For lawyers, I mean, we certainly have a lawyer directory, which is free. People should fill out their profiles, similar to Avo in certain ways, but uh, we don't have ratings uh, yet. We'll be adding ratings at some point. Um, hmm. But it's free. It's, it's good. It's, you know, clean. So that's one item from just a basic marketing standpoint. You know, we do websites and blogs too. That, that's the marketing side. On the, on the free law side, I think the there's probably two items. I think the number one item is getting the case law summaries that, that we send out every day. And then we send out a weekly one for different practice areas. That's free. You can get all the least new Supreme Court decisions in your state. If you're in California, you can get all the appellate decisions every day, uh, all the federal decisions. We have a lot of law librarians at large firms that just subscribe to all of them. And then they hmm. forward over what they want to, to uh, the different folks. Mm-hmm. It's totally fine. You know, it, it's pretty good. We have, you know, attorney writers that are really good writers and they just knock it out every day. And uh, that part's been, you know, really good. Uh, the second item, which is sort of a project we're working on with Cornell right now, which is, uh, um, you know, by way of Jerry Goldman, which is the OIA site, 
we're going to be really updating that OEA site and make it a real Supreme Court center. And I think you're going to see a lot more stuff come into it that's going to go beyond just the uh, the audio. We're going to bring all the cases into it. We're going to be bringing in briefs. We're going to be bringing additional research materials. And that's going to become a, a much bigger deal. Right, cool. And we're going to be working with a, a bunch of different law schools, uh, obviously Cornell, but Chicago Kent's going to continue with it. Uh, and we've talked to other, you know, we've talked to folks at you know Harvard and Stanford and the normal suspects. And we'll be doing stuff with them. When, when should we start looking for that? We are meeting in the end of August in Ithaca to put together the final game plans. We've sort of been running it now for a year just to make sure that we could run it and not screw everything up, which <laughs> we got through a year and pretty good. Nice. Um, and my guess is we'll start making adjustments during the fall and we'll look to release something, uh, uh, probably my, my guess is, you know, early 2018. Uh, it might be during the summer of 2018 as possible. Certainly like yourself and some of the other tech folks will be, you know, Ambrosi and some of the other people will be sending in some invites to take a look at the beta as desired and not want to invite just an email <laughs> you can take a look at it. you guys can tell us what you think or what we should Very change cool. uh, but i think it'll be i mean i think it'll be really really good and uh it's from an educational tool set and it's already you know a really nice site uh but there's a lot more stuff we can add and we might have some stuff for high school students some for college but we'll have a lot of stuff for other attorneys we'll sort of uh bring those uh bring those things in so the, I mean, those are sort of the, the core things but you know we have other portal things you can answer questions if you can get you know subscriptions and new questions on our site they answer if you want to look for some clients that way that tends to be a good client producer and of course the uh, you know case polls and normally people find us but we have a google search if they don't go to fine law or uh, you know case text or one of the other ones that show up in the google search or yeah or, or public resource.org you know that's more of a, a google case poll type world uh, but we get a lot of that too yeah. but cool. we're we're working you know pretty well and, and i think that uh, on our side, I think our engineering team has just really been able to drive a lot of things. And we just, we do a lot of projects with Seventh Circuit. We're doing projects all over the place uh, that you don't always see that, that we have going on. I mean, a lot, probably, you know, a lot of projects. And if you sort of look at that, the amount of work we're knocking out, it's really, uh, it's impressive. I mean, our guys are, we have really good programmers. I mean, really, really good. And so it, that's been a good thing. And it's allowed us to put up a lot of free stuff. And then people take it from there and you get web law. Are there any other side projects you want to highlight? I think OIA is the big one right now. The other projects uh, that we're looking at, we, we'll be doing pretty soon or supporting and probably add some tech support to a fake news media product uh, with some law schools. So that'll be coming out mm. uh, pretty soon. We did you know, like a California Supreme Court Center for Stanford, uh, which is pretty nice. We did a, a fair use site for Stanford. That's pretty good. Uh, that you know, a lot of people use. Uh, do that with uh, the guys at Nola Press. So I mean, those are other sort of bigger sites. But we do a lot. We do have death penalty focused stuff and anti death penalty things. We got. I mean, there's like a ton of projects. So we, we pretty much always doing two or three projects at any particular time. When <laughs> as long as we have the resources, we just sort of pick it up and do it. So it's always good. Very cool. Well, Tim, thanks so much for being with me today. I it was really cool to hear more about you and Fine Law and Justia and uh, and Karma. So thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Make sure to catch next week's episode of the Lawyerist podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast or legaltalknetwork.com. You can subscribe via iTunes or anywhere podcasts are found. Both Lawyerist and the Legal Talk Network can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play or iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said during this podcast is legal advice.